What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. The Andy Poland Show. We got to go after this with everything we got, thinking they're going to come with everything they got. I'll start off by saying I'm bored, I'm broke, and I'm back. The Andy Poland Show on ESPN 630 starts right now. You no, know, I'm just—I mean, I'm sad, but I'm not even worried because I know where Leonard is. I know he's in heaven. I'm going to miss him, and I know everybody else here will too. I really can't say a whole lot more except I love you, Leonard, and I miss you. I'll see you in heaven one day. That was quoted many times over the weekend with the death of Lefty Drizel at the age of 92. And the tragic death of Len Bias is what ended his career at Maryland, but it should not define it, and nor should it define his life, which was absolutely incredible over those 92 years and the contribution that he made not just to college basketball in this area, but to sports in this area and to college basketball around the country and really around the world should not be underestimated. He was, he was a force of nature. Uh, as Ken Denlinger wrote in the Washington Post, Lefty Drizel, born on Christmas Day, 1932, God's gift to the world. And he was really a gift to this area and, uh, and to the country and to the world because his, uh, his force of personality made college basketball matter in a way that it had not mattered before, before coming to Maryland in 1969. And uh, there were controversies during his life. He wasn't perfect. He was flawed like the rest of us. But when I think about my life as a sports fan growing up in Washington, Lefty Drizel and Maryland was such a big part of that. Um, just to, to bring you back to the period of time when he came to D.C., in 1969 this was nowheresville for sports every team in town the ones that we had were terrible the washington redskins were horrendous they hadn't had a winning season since 1955 and that included the 112 and 1 with an all-white team in 1961 the expansion washington senators they had replaced the minnesota twins when they went to Minneapolis in 1960. They were awful. They had lost 96 games in 1968. And Maryland basketball was, you know, uh, like kind of like field hockey or, or, or soccer. People didn't pay that much attention to it, nor should they have, because they weren't good either. Frank Fellows was the coach. And in the previous two seasons, 67-68, he'd gone 8-16, and 4-10 and in the ACC. And 68-69, he went 8-18, and 18, won 16 games over two years. And then, as part of that incredible period of time, 55 years ago, listen to this. In, in February, in, uh, in early February, February the 7th, the Redskins hired Vince Lombardi to replace Otto Graham who had gone 5-9 and nine the year before. Vince Lombardi arrived with five championships, including two Super Bowl titles. This was an incredible thing that the best coach in the history of football was coming to coach the hapless Washington Redskins. 
Exactly two weeks later, the Washington Senators introduced Ted Williams, the greatest hitter of all time, who'd never been a manager before, but certainly knew about hitting the baseball and knew about baseball and was going to bring splash to a team that wasn't very good and wasn't drawing anybody at then D.C. Stadium. And then Lefty Drizel arrives at Maryland March 19th of 1969. So over a six-week period, Washington gets Vince Lombardi, Ted Williams, and Lefty Drizel. And Lefty arrived with a line that followed him the rest of his life. He said, and this is the accurate quote, there have been stories over the years that Lefty showed up and said, damn it, I'm going to make Maryland the UCLA of the East. Here's the exact quote. He said, Maryland has the potential to be the UCLA of the East, or I wouldn't be here. And he went to work right away. He took out an ad in the Washington Post, and there were pictures of four all-Met players in that ad. James Brown of DeMatha, Floyd Lewis of Western, Jim O'Brien of Stewart, and Dave Freitag of St. John's, all first-team all-Met players. And he said in the article or in the ad, he said, Maryland wants you. <laughs> and uh, and I got only one of them. He only got one of the four. Uh, Jim O'Brien from Stewart came to Maryland. But it was a firestorm. People went, what? You can't do that. Well, he did that. And uh, and as he said to uh, Tom Levero in, uh, in an interview some years ago, and Tom put it in his column today, he said there was a copy of that ad in, in the New York Times, the Los Angeles paper, every pa- paper in the country, because everyone wrote stories about it. Look at what Lefty's doing in recruiting now. He's got this ad for these four players in D.C. I don't know what we paid for the ad, about $500, but we got about $5 million worth of advertising. It was everywhere. It helped us in recruiting. And it helped him to land, a year later, the most celebrated high school player to that point. Uh, he had got Tom McMillan, who became only the second high school player in history. He was from Mansfield, Pennsylvania. He was only the second high school player in history to appear on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And he was, at one point, ticketed to go to North Carolina. But Lefty worked at it and worked at it and got his brother, Jay McMillan, who had played several years earlier at Maryland, on board. And Tom McMillan changed his mind. Now, part of the reason that he changed his mind going to North Carolina and going to Maryland was because it was closer to home and his father had been ill. And he wanted his father to be able to attend games, so it was closer for him to come from Mansfield, Pennsylvania, to uh, to College Park than it would have been to go to Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So he came to Maryland, and uh, when Lefty signed him and announced the signing of Tom McMillan, he gave further explanation of that line which followed him for life, the UCLA of the East. If I, as a coach, and my staff, if we can't recruit outstanding athletes to come to a school like this and win the wrong profession. You know, and that's the reason I said I thought Maryland would be the UCLA of the East, and uh, I think it will be. But uh, we ain't won any championships yet, right? So uh, I still got something to prove. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it, it's, it's ironic that, that Lefty, who brought so much joy and so many wins to Maryland, 348 over those 17 years from 1969 to 1986, he is defined more for his losses than his wins and his excruciating losses, including the famous 1974 ACC championship game, which they lost to North Carolina State 103-100 in overtime. Billy Packer went to his grave 
saying that's the best college basketball game that was ever played. And it was, he, as Billy put it, and you'll hear him say this later in the show, and by the way, we're devoting all two hours to Lefty today. I could, uh, I could go on and on about the joke of the All-Star game from last night, the letter that Abe Poland's son wrote to Ted Leonsis urging him not to take the Caps and the Wizards to Northern Virginia, but that can wait for another day. Uh, today's show is going to be all about uh, Lefty Drizel. But uh, but when he when he was able to to establish the program and and get it off the ground, uh, it was the losses that really uh, defined him. Even with the great teams that he had, and that game, as as Packer said, was the second most important in the history of college basketball. The first being also uh, a game involving Maryland, although the team didn't play. It was played at Cole Fieldhouse with. Texas Western beating the all-white Kentucky team. It's uh, known as the Brown versus Board of Education game, and it changed the thinking of, of recruiting uh, African-Americans, and, and Kentucky and all the other SEC schools had to fall in line eventually uh, because of that, because the realization that uh, some of the best players in the country were being excluded because of, uh, of a, an ancient and, uh, and, and racist policy that uh, had gone back for decades in the SEC. And uh, so this game, it changed the way the NCAA tournament was because in those days, only 25 teams went. And the only way the ACC team or the ACC representative could get there was by winning this ACC tournament. And Maryland, which had arguably one of the three or four best teams in the country, a team capable of winning the national championship, uh, did not get to go. They didn't get to go to the tournament, and uh, as Lefty said when he got on the bus to congratulate the NC State players after this unbelievable game in Greensboro, he said, I hope you guys win the national championship, and they did. And they stopped UCLA's win streak uh, where they had won seven straight. They had won seven straight NCAA titles going into this game, and in a double overtime semifinal, NC State went on to win. And uh, and Lefty's defined by that loss. He is defined by – Losing Moses Malone, who was at that time in 1974 the highest recruited player in the country. Lefty went all out to get Moses. And had Moses gone to Maryland, they would have won one, maybe two, maybe more national titles because it was unusual for guys to leave early in those days. And Moses did attend Maryland. I think he went to one class but then he split for the ABA and, uh, and never played in college. And even without, left, without Moses the following year, uh, they made it to the Elite Eight. That's how good that team was. And if Moses had been a part of it, uh, who knows? They would have won the title perhaps in 75, maybe 76, and beyond that because John Lucas uh, was the point guard of that team. And in 1976, he become, he became the number one drafted player in the NBA. And they had Mo Howard, who also played in the league, and, uh, and they would have been uh, great. Brad Davis was on that team, also a, a first-round draft pick, a lottery pick. Uh, in the NBA or before they had the lottery. I think he went seven overall to the Lakers. So they had they had a lot of talent, and uh, and those are things that, that Lefty didn't get. He had close losses in other games as well, and he never made it to a Final Four. Uh, a man who arrived on campus saying that uh, he wanted to make Maryland the UCLA of the East didn't quite do it, didn't quite get that done, but he put college basketball on the map in this area, and he also – uh, changed the way college basketball fans embraced their teams. Uh, there, there wasn't this this mass hysteria for college basketball, certainly not in this area, maybe in certain parts of the country, maybe uh, Tobacco Road, maybe Kentucky, places like that, UCLA, because they were winning. 
But Lefty came to Maryland, and he saw Cole Fieldhouse, which was this enormous place. It was the biggest arena in the ACC. But it was built for boxing. It wasn't built for basketball. And they didn't have seats on the floor. And Lefty said, well, this is ridiculous. The fans are too far away. They're, they're, they're 25 feet away from the action. I need them right on the floor. And he's, he was able to install floor seats there. He got what they called the pep band there. Uh, they had signs when the game was in, in, in hand and the band would play amen and people would wave those signs back and forth. I mean, it was a happening. He made Maryland basketball a happening. And along the way, uh, with his ability to recruit, to get guys like Tom McMillan and Len Elmore for his first team and, and later John Lucas and Albert King, who was the number one player in the country, uh, he gained this reputation as a guy who, you know, was a great recruiter, but wasn't necessarily a great coach because it, when it would come down to crunch time, like the NC State a championship game at the ACC or other close games that they lost, he just – his teams couldn't quite come through. And even when they did beat UCLA, as uh, as John Feinstein wrote in his column this past weekend, even when he did beat them, he did it on the same day that Virginia was upset by Chaminade. So the biggest upset maybe in the history of, of college basketball occurred on the same day where Lefty, uh, finally, what, 13 years after arriving at Maryland, delivered on his promise uh, to beat UCLA. Uh, and, and you know, he had, again, another close loss. They opened the 73-74 season at Pauley Pavilion, where UCLA is riding this seven-game, seven-year streak of winning championships. And Maryland lost by one. And there was a late bucket, and Lefty ran over to the scores table to make sure that that wasn't counted. So Maryland would only lose by one, hoping he could get another shot at UCLA in the NCAA tournament, which never happened. But uh, again, uh, because of these things, because of these close losses, because of Maryland being almost so many times under Lefty, the narrative was, well, you know, he's a great recruiter. He's a great showman. He can get people excited about basketball, but he can't coach. And, uh, and that rankled him. And, uh, and one thing about Lefty, he wore his heart on his sleeve, and he let people know it. I don't like to brag. See, that's why y'all don't think I can coach, but I'm bragging today, okay, because I don't like to talk about what I do and what I don't do. But don't ever say that I can't coach. I may not be a good speaker. I may not be intelligent as some of these other coaches. I may not throw you a whole lot of X's and old crap, but I can coach. He could coach, and he won 786 games. And when he retired, there were only three other coaches that were ahead of him on the all-time list. Uh, there was Adolph Rupp, there was Dean Smith, and there was Bobby Knight. Those were the only ones that, uh, that, that had more wins than Lefty Drizel when he left the game in 2003. And, uh, and he left behind a, a legacy, not just here, but at other programs. We're going to get into this. You're going to hear about the start of his career. I uh, pulled some of the Hall of Fame speech. And by the way, the, the, uh, the Len Bias death, um, I think, really was the reason that he was kept out of the Hall of Fame as long as he was. Uh, he did not make it until just a few years ago when he was 86 years old. And, uh, and he took the fall for that. He took the fall for, for the death of Len Bias of a cocaine overdose after he had used up his eligibility. He was no longer a student at Maryland. He had flunked out of school, and he was no longer eligible to play college basketball. And the tragedy of the cocaine overdose did happen on the Maryland campus, and there was a, 
an urban legend that that went around that Lefty supposedly told the players who were with Bias in the room when he died to to clean up the scene. Uh, that apparently didn't happen. They did a, an investigation of that, and Lefty was fully cleared on that. But uh, somebody had to take the fall for for Len Bias's death, and it was Lefty. And uh, John Feinstein, in his column writing about Lefty yesterday, uh, had this quote from Mike Shashevsky who said, I honestly believe if Maryland hadn't made him the scapegoat in the bias case, he might have been the all-time winningest coach. He was that good. And he won at Davidson, where nobody had won before. He went to JMU after he, after he left here. He won 100 games there. They made the NCAA tournament. And then he took over at Georgia State, which was a, a, a school that had just kind of sprung up in downtown Atlanta. And he got them to the NCAA tournament, and they knocked off Wisconsin in the tournament. So he could coach and he could coach not just at Maryland, but he could coach at other places, smaller places, making them relevant, getting them to the NCAA tournament. Uh, Yes, the bias death stained him. And there was another stain, which I would like to talk about to just really just to get it out of the way, because I think I think when you talk about somebody's life, you have to talk about uh, everything, warts and all. And ironically, uh, there was a case three years prior to the bias death that in this day and age would have ended Lefty's run at Maryland and might have ended his coaching career entirely. And it involved a player by the name of Herman Veal, who was a junior forward on the team. This was uh, the spring of 1983 or late winter, early spring. And uh, a, a woman on campus had, uh, had accused him of making improper sexual advances and uh, there were never any criminal charges filed, uh, just the complaint. But uh, Lefty called the woman. Uh, he did not deny uh, calling the woman. He denied a story that he had uh, pressured her into trying to drop the complaint. He denied doing that, but uh, he did, in fact, uh, he didn't confirm it, but he didn't deny uh, calling the woman. You know, the comp- complaints uh, were investigated. And uh, the charges or the complaints were eventually dropped. But the student newspaper, the Diamondback, called for Drizelle's resignation. The Women's Center on campus was not happy. They, they were uh, very much in favor of, of Lefty being fired. And there was a feeling that the university had jumped to the defense of the basketball program and the coach. But uh, that was a minority view. Lefty, and Lefty gave a very contentious interview to Channel 9 in which he said uh, the victim was, was Herman Veal, which was probably incorrect but uh in this day and age that probably would have led to his ouster but he did he did survive that the uh the investigation was headed up by the school's chancellor john slaughter who later uh, i don't know if he actually fired lefty but but uh, but pushed him out the door and lefty resigned uh in the fall of 1986 and uh, left the school a year later to take over at uh, at jmu but uh, that that is part of his life. Those two things: the the, the stain of the Len Bias tragedy, and the stain of the Herman Veal incident, uh, which again uh, he did, was not fired for it. Uh, apparently, was disciplined in some way, reprimanded reprimanded by the school. And Herman Veal came back and played his senior year at Maryland eighty three eighty four when Lefty won his one championship, which was the ACC title, uh, where they beat Duke in nineteen eighty four. But uh, the life is, is complex, it is rich, and it is full of great stories. And we're going to get to some of those stories as we continue. A couple of years ago, when Lefty celebrated his 90th birthday, which was Christmas of, uh, what, 2022, 
there was a, uh, a virtual birthday party that was organized by two of his greatest players, Tom McMillan and Len Elmore, and they got uh, a number of his players on a Zoom call. And it goes, it's up on YouTube if you want to watch it. It's a couple of hours, and I pulled some of the great stories that uh, I'm going to play for you over the next uh, hour and change here uh, from people who played for him, people who knew him, people who loved him. Uh, the great Lefty Drizel passing away over the weekend at the age of 92. Stay with us. It's the Andy Poland Show, ESPN 630. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. The Andy Poland Show on ESPN 630, the sports capital. Tony Kornheiser, who covered Lefty Drizel, new lefty, I'm sure will have thoughts on him coming up on his show at 11 o'clock. I'm spending my show, all of it, uh, talking about my thoughts on Lefty Drizel and playing you the thoughts of others uh, about the great basketball coach, at Maryland from 1969 to 1986 and uh, stops in other places, Davidson, JMU, uh, Georgia State, uh, 786 wins, one of the winningest coaches of all time, never made a Final Four, finally made the Basketball Hall of Fame in 1986 and uh, was so much more than just a coach on the floor. He, he grew the game. And uh, we can get into the story of how Midnight Madness started. In fact, now is a good time to start that as uh, as lefty got to maryland in 1969 uh, basketball and especially in this area in kentucky i'm sure it was big it was big in, in on tobacco road north carolina uh, ucla was the team and lefty arrived uh, saying again the accurate quote uh, maryland has the potential to be the ucla of the east coast or i wouldn't be here he said he was later uh, that that suggestion came to him in a conversation with Jay McMillan, Tom McMillan's older brother, who had played at Maryland uh, before he got there. Uh, but he made basketball matter, and he did it in a very showy way, which got people excited about the game. And as I mentioned, when he came to Maryland, there were no seats on the floor. There was no pep band, and he, he got them to, to help him to fire up the crowd. And when Lefty would come out of the tunnel before the game would start, especially a big ACC game, North Carolina, North Carolina State, uh, you know, Clemson, any of those teams, when Lefty would come out of the tunnel, the band would play Hail to the Chief and he would give the victory sign and the place would go nuts. And, and this is a, a Cole Fieldhouse, which was cavernous. It had been sold out, as far as I know, only once prior to Lefty coming there, and that was for the famous DeMatha Power Memorial game with Lou Alcindor in 1965. This is four years later, and it takes him a while to uh, to build things up. But uh, as he's going along, he's looking at the rules of college basketball, and he's saying, you know, how can I uh, tweak things a little bit, get people interested in the game? And he noticed that there was a rule that you could start practice. Now, this has changed over the years. starts earlier now, and pretty much it's a, it's a year-round thing as players stay through the summer and practice and work out and all that. But you could officially start practice three minutes after midnight on October 15th. So as he's getting ready to begin his third year, and he's now got his big-time recruit and Tom McMillan and Len Elmore, and Len had a teammate named Jap Trimble who was also a great player – 
lefty is going to, you know, do what the rules allow him to do, but but take it to the nth degree. So at three minutes after midnight, he has his players run a mile around the track at Bird Stadium. And in those days, Bird Stadium had a track around the field, and uh, they didn't even have lights at the stadium. Uh, there were cars that were parked, and they, and they shined their headlights, so at least there'd be enough light. And the players all ran a time mile just after midnight, and that began what, be, what was called Midnight Madness. The following year, he brings in a freshman player of the year in Philadelphia named Mo Howard. And Mo knows that they're going to have Midnight Madness, but he says, hey, coach, why don't we just have a scrimmage instead of just running a mile? And that, that lefty says, oh, that's a great idea. So instead of the mile, they gather in Cole Fieldhouse to scrimmage, and they didn't even advertise it as far as I know. Uh, and word got out around campus, and about 5,000 students showed up to watch the team scrimmage. And that's when they knew they had something. And pretty soon it grew around the country. And by the 70s, mid-70s, late 70s, everybody was doing it. And that's how you'd kick off your college basketball season with Midnight Madness. That was started by Lefty Drizel. Among the great players that he recruited, Adrian Branch out of DeMatha. And uh, and Adrian became a great player for him in the late 1980s, uh, now an analyst with ESPN. And, uh, And he was part of this virtual birthday celebration that was put together by Tom McMillan at Len Elmore uh, Christmas of 2022. And, uh, and everybody who came on told great lefty stories and lefty told stories on them. And it's, it's, it's a, if you're a basketball fan who grew up here in the, in the seventies and the early eighties, it's, it's, it's something I think you'll want to see, but this was the story of, of the toughness that lefty drilled into his players. And, and like most people who worked with him or covered him, they do a lefty imitation. Feinstein does a great one. I'm going to play some of what Feinstein said on this as well. But this was just one of the stories that Adrian Branch told during this 90th birthday celebration for lefty. He always talked about preparation. Uh, Lynn talked about that. The harder you work, the luckier you get. Chance favors the prepared. And I've taken that myself uh, with ESPN, and I say preparation determines presentation. Preparation determines presentation. So failing to prepare is preparing to fail. The second thing coach talked about was toughness, toughness. He wanted you to be tough, wanted you to play like a team, but he wanted you to be tough as well. And I remember one time where we weren't tough and coaches forever coach. So coach, I've known coach, uh, like Tom said, coach recruited me out of DeMatha high school at 16 years old. And so coach has known me for 42 years. And I was with, and I'm going to leave my hat as a symbolic here. Eventually, I'm going to turn it around here. So right now, Coach, when I was at Maryland, my hat was sideways, and I was dancing when there ain't no music. So Coach recruited me as a 16-year-old, and he wanted us to be tough. But sometimes we fell short of the mark. And I'll give you a for instance. We played, Coach, remember that time when we played uh, down at the Baltimore Civic Center? This is the one year after uh, this was uh, Ben Coleman and Herman Ville's junior year. We were really good. We were 10th in the nation. Right. We Penn State. And we it's laid a big, big We laid a big egg. It, it was a big deal because back then you could play one game a year, maybe in Frostburg, maybe in Salisbury, somewhere along the state. So it was a big, big deal. We're 10th in the nation. Penn State wasn't in the Big Ten yet, and we're expected to win. We are laying an egg. 
Coach comes in at halftime, and for all those players out there, if you get coach looking at the clipboard with that left hand, you know you're in trouble. So coach goes down the line talking about toughness. He looks up and he says, Ben Coleman, Mark Fothergill, six foot nine, 235 pounds, one rebound. <laughs> Hermanville, best defender in the ACC, checks Michael Jordan, one rebound. Leonard, called Lynn Bice by his first name, full name, Leonard. Leonard, nothing. Oh, hell. Ain't none of y'all got girlfriends. You're afraid of contact. <laughs> <laughs> I believe Adrian Branch was the first Maryland player to win an NBA championship. Uh, he was on the, one of Magic Johnson's teams with the Lakers. A uh, great player at DeMatha and a great player at Maryland. I, I think I said late 80s. He, he arrived late 70s and was part of those early 80s teams uh, with Maryland and, uh, and one of their really uh, great players. John Feinstein. Probably knew Lefty better than any other reporter, for sure, better than many other people. Uh, stayed in touch with him throughout his life. Uh, John started covering Maryland sometime in the early 80s, maybe even the late 70s, uh, when he came uh, from Duke. He came to the Washington Post first as an intern and then became a reporter covering college basketball and, and knew Lefty really well and knew the family, uh, knew his wife, Joyce, who had passed away not long before this 90th birthday celebration. So uh, Feinstein came on and, uh, first of all, congratulated Lefty on his 90th birthday, but also consoled him for the loss of his wife, who had passed away uh, several months earlier, but remembered both Lefty and Joyce uh, with this story of the championship, the one, the one real championship that Lefty won, which was the ACC title in 1984 when he beat Duke. Everybody knows you has memories of Joyce. It's impossible not to. Right. <laughs> and I remember when you, you guys won the ACC championship, the ACC tournament in 1984. Um, and that was one of the great misquoted lines of all time after that game, because you said in the post-game press conference, when I was younger, I might have taken this trophy and driven around North Carolina and pulled into every driveway and shown everybody what I had. But now I'm just too old for that. I'm just going to take this trophy and go home. And somehow the quote became that you had said you were going to take the trophy and drive around North Carolina uh, and show it to everybody. You had the right to, but people have misquoted that line for 37 years now. Yeah. But after the, the press conferences and after I'd been in the locker room, locker rooms, uh, I was actually standing with Mickey Krzyzewski, Mike's wife. Uh, and Joyce walked up to Mickey and gave her a hug and said, I hope you guys don't have to wait as long for this as we did. Because it, it was your sixth ACC final when, when you finally won one. And that was, again, as, as, as Adrian just referenced, that was so typical of Joyce to always be thinking about other people. And that's how she put up with you for all those years. Um, the, the last time I had contact with her, I don't know if you remember this, but this past summer I'd lost Chuck's number. And I called you and I said, do you have Chuck's number? Can you text it to me? And you said, no, I can't, but Joyce can. And of <laughs> course she did text it to me. And so I was yeah. able to call Chuck. Chuck, of course, uh, Lefty's son who played for him uh, and has been a coach for a long time, I believe coaching high school now, but had been on Gary Williams' staff 
at Maryland, had coached college in a, in a couple of small places. He made coaching uh, his career just as Lefty did. He played at Springbrook, and he, I guess he got a scholarship to Maryland. Maybe it was a walk-on situation, whatever it is. It's, it's very difficult to play for your father, and he was not one of the, the better players that Lefty had, but uh, they had a, a foul situation in a game against North Carolina as Michael Jordan was becoming the legend of Michael Jordan. And it came down to the final play of the game. North Carolina was behind. They needed uh, two points to win. The ball was, of course, in Jordan's hands. And unfortunately, Chuck Drizell was what was left after all the fouls uh, to guard Michael Jordan. And it was it was a mismatch. Jordan scored. A lot of people remember him for that. But uh, also, it should be remembered uh, what great love that they had for one another. I mean, Chuck, who was a really terrific player at Springbrook, probably could have played in a smaller program, probably could have been a starter, but uh, he wanted to play for his dad and uh, was on the team at Maryland and uh, got to be close to him for those four years and uh, and took up coaching as, as a career. And actually, he was, is, is a very good recruiter. Um, is the, the Final Four team that John Thompson III had at uh, Georgetown, a lot of the recruiting there, was done by Chuck Drizell. Uh, Chuck had been an assistant uh, on the previous staff, and uh, and he brought in you know the backbone of that team that made the Final Four. And like uh, I think it was like the third year, maybe the fourth year, that John Thompson the uh, third coached at Georgetown. Uh, Feinstein here with another lefty story, and uh, he wrote this in his column on Saturday. But at this 90th celebration for Lefty, this is John telling a great recruiting story about Lefty. Back in the mid '80s, I was doing a, a magazine piece on you. You probably don't even remember this, um, but on on Halloween night, you and I and Ron Bradley went into Anacostia. This is in the days before the NCAA passed rules saying reporters couldn't go on rep- recruiting trips. And the three of us on Halloween night went into Anacostia and we were recruiting a kid named, you were recruiting a kid named Sean Alvarado. Do you remember him? Yes. Good player, ended up going to Kansas. But as we got out of the car outside of Sean Alvarado's apartment, about 15 little kids ran up to us screaming, trick or treat, trick or treat. And of course, none of us had any candy, but you reached into your pocket, you took out your money clip and you gave every one of them a bill or two off of your money clip until there was nothing left on the money clip. And they ran off screaming happily. And as they did, you turned to Ron and me and you said, damn, I hope I didn't have any big bills on that clip. <laughs> but I always told people Lefty Drizel would give away his last dollar without even thinking about it, which you literally did that night. And <laughs> You and I had a great relationship. A lot of my mornings when I was single started with Feinstein, wake up, I got to get on you. And you would scream at me about something I'd written and I'd walk into practice that afternoon and you'd walk over to me and you'd say, what's going on, Feinstein, you got a scoop? And I would say, I thought you were never speaking to me again. And you'd say, oh, hell, I just got to keep you in line. Yeah, that's something. Lefty really never held a grudge, you know. He'd, he'd have it out with people, but then it would be over. And uh, the, the, the long and, and, and storied history of uh, his relationship with, with John Feinstein included things like that. I, I wish John at this uh, birthday, because I would have played it, um, would have told the pancake story, which I've heard him tell a bunch of times. But uh, he went over to, to Lefty's house to have breakfast. 
and uh, Lefty's wife, Joyce, uh, who Lefty called Mama. They, they'd been together since high school. So high school sweetheart. And uh, he always called her Mama. And uh, she was making what Lefty called hotcakes. And he said, Mama, make, make us some hotcakes. So uh, here's Lefty and, and, uh, and John sitting at the kitchen table in, in Lefty's house eating pancakes that, uh, that Joyce is making. And uh, I know both of them could eat. I've, I've been around John. I know John can eat. I assume Lefty, who, who struggled with weight off and on during his life, uh, probably could eat as well. Big guy. You know, he played basketball at Duke, about 6'4". And uh, as John tells it, they're both putting away lots and lots of hotcakes. Only Lefty is putting butter on all of his. Uh, John is is trying to to, to keep it to keep it as low as possible, but not putting butter, just syrup on his hotcakes. But uh, Lefty's putting butter and syrup. And uh, there's one left, one hotcake left. And uh, and John says to Lefty, "Oh, go ahead, you take that." And Lefty says to John, "He says, no, you eat it. I'm on diet." <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 you know, the, the wit and wisdom, it, it was really, you know, he, he played sort of this bumpkin and, and, and talked in a way that people didn't think he was smart, but he was really, really smart and really, really savvy about things. And, uh, you know, that was sort of like a misdirection play. We'll play a lot of his Hall of Fame speech coming up in the next hour. He finally got in the Hall of Fame uh, when he was 86 years old after waiting far too long to get there, uh, not just for his wins, but for what he did for the game, including Midnight Madness and then make it as popular as it is and what he did for it on television, the historic games he played and all those things, uh, the stain of the, of the Len Bias death and uh, the fact that he was scapegoated for it uh, certainly played a role in him uh, not getting in. And I'll, I'll have more on this later, but um, Dave Kindred, who was a longtime columnist, wrote for the Washington Post, Atlanta Journal-Constitution, some of the other top papers in the country, uh, in, 19, in, in that year, which would have been, let's see, 92, so it was six years ago, uh, he wrote a, a, a column in The uh, uh, Athletic where he made the case for Lefty to get in the Hall of Fame. And while the wheels were in motion, I think that helped to put it over the top, and, and Lefty finally got in, and uh, we'll play some of that uh, some of that speech coming up. But next I want to get to something that Scott Van Pelt said at this birthday celebration. Uh, Scott's kind of like you and me. Uh, he didn't play at Maryland, though he tried out for the team, didn't make it, but uh, was, a, was a terrific high school player and has gone on, obviously, to great uh, television success. Went to Maryland, loves Maryland, uh, is a booster. You see him at the games. He's, he's, uh, he's a presence all the time. Um, and he, he loved Lefty. And he tells a he tells a great story about being a camper, which uh, some a lot of people I know uh, went to Maryland basketball camp. That was something else that Lefty did every summer. Uh, there had been one that had been done that I went to, and I learned I couldn't play. But, but when I was young, I went to one that was hosted by Morgan Wooten, uh, the uh, D.C. area metropolitan basketball school, or something like that. He did it with Joe Gallagher. Uh, I went to that one, but uh, later when Lefty arrived, he, he started his own camp, and it was very popular. A lot of kids went to that, and uh, I think it continues to this day when Gary Williams was there. My son went to Maryland basketball camp a few years. So anyway, we'll, uh, we'll get to that story coming up and much more on the life of Lefty Drizel, who passed away over the weekend at the age of 92. Don't go away. It's the Andy Poland Show, ESPN 630. Stacking Benjamins with Joe and his good friend OG not only has great financial insight, it's laid back with humor, too. 
too. The quiet luxury trend is out and loud budgeting is in. Are we tired of the pet names? Yeah, because I'm loud and obnoxious, so this fits right in with me. I'm like, yes, finally budgeting for me. (laughs) I get to walk into a restaurant and go, I'm cheap as hell, and you're not getting a tip. Live from Doug's Budget. (laughs) Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. And if you're just jumping on, we spent the first hour talking about Lefty Drizel, and we will spend the second hour talking about Lefty Drizel, playing some of his Basketball Hall of Fame induction speech, uh, comments from Gary Williams at Lefty's 90th birthday celebration, the late Billy Packer, who uh, knew Lefty when he was a player at um, in, in the ACC. Um, he had played at Wake Forest uh, when Lefty... I guess he had left at that point, had uh, left Duke, but was coaching at Davidson. He, he knew Lefty and, uh, and is very much intertwined with the life of Lefty. Uh, and we will hear, you know, about some of the great things that he was able to do and, and some of the tragic things that are uh, also tied to his life, including the le- death of Len Bias, which ended his run at the University of Maryland. And as, as I mentioned in the last hour, you know, a lot of people were talking about that over the weekend when the news came that Lefty had passed away and remembering his statement when uh, Len Bias passed away, 1986, died of a cocaine overdose that, uh, that Lefty said, I love you, Leonard, and someday I'll see you in heaven. And uh, now I guess in, in some ways maybe they are together, who knows. But uh, you know, Lefty's, Lefty's life is so much more than that. And it's, it's what he was able to do to put college basketball on the map in, in this area and, and around the country with things he did like Midnight Madness. That alone should have put him in the Hall of Fame, you know, <laughs> with what he did to grow the game. But it took a long time for him to finally make it. But uh, finally he did, and his family, including his beloved wife, was alive to see it, which was great, and Lefty was was spectacular in delivering his speech. You know, he uh, he came to the podium with a walker. They had to put a chair there so he could uh, sit while he spoke, but he was still throwing fastballs and still lighting up the room and, and making everybody laugh, and uh, we will get to that. Um, in addition to the to the bias death, um, the, the line, I guess, that, that will always be associated with Lefty is, I'm going to make Maryland the UCLA of the East. Actually, that's a misquote. That's not what he said when he was introduced as the coach. And it was, a, it was an unbelievable period of time in this area 55 years ago. February 7th, Vince Lombardi introduced as coach of the Redskins. February 21st, Ted Williams introduced as manager of the Washington Senators. And March 19th, Lefty Drizel introduced as the coach at Maryland. Lombardi died before he could coach a second season. He did have a winning season his first year. Ted Williams had a winning season his first year, two losing seasons, and then he left with the team, and Lefty stayed as coach at Maryland for the next 17 years. But the actual quote that he said at his opening news conference was that Maryland has the potential to be the UCLA of the East or I wouldn't be here. And what's the best way to become a really good coach? Get really good players. And Lefty did that. He did that as well as anyone. And in his first recruiting year, uh, as soon as he took over, he put an ad in the Washington Post and put pictures of four all-met players from the area that he wanted to come to Maryland. He said, Maryland wants you. It was James Brown from DeMatha, Floyd Lewis from Western, Jim O'Brien from Stewart, and Dave Freitag from St. John's. He landed O'Brien. The other three went other places. But with O'Brien and then the recruiting class that followed, 
he put together one of the great teams in the country. And he recruited Len Elmore and his teammate from Power Memorial, Jap Trimble. And he landed the number one player in the country, only the second high school player ever to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated, Tom McMillan from Mansfield, Pennsylvania. And when he introduced McMillan at his news conference to say that he had gotten him after it looked like he was going to go to North Carolina, but changed his recruiting at the last moment and said he wanted to go to school where his brother had gone, Maryland. His, his older brother, Jay, had played there. And he wanted to be close to his family in Mansfield, Pennsylvania, because his father was ill and he wanted his, his parents to be able to attend games. So uh, he wound up at Maryland and left. He got his guy and, uh, and explained, hey, this is part of the process of making Maryland the UCLA of the East. If I, as a coach and my staff, if we can't recruit outstanding athletes to come to a school like this, then we're in the wrong profession. You know, and that's the reason I said I thought Maryland would be the UCLA of the East, and uh, I think it will be. But uh, we ain't won any championships yet, right? So uh, I still got something to prove. Well, he never got that championship. He got an ACC championship, but he never won an NCAA championship. That was Gary Williams who followed. Gary won it in 2002. So that was, what, 33 years you know, after Lefty had arrived on the Maryland campus. It was a long time coming and a lot of things in between, including the bias death, including the, the disgrace of Bob Wade and the recruiting and, and Maryland going on probation with Gary for a couple of years where they couldn't be in postseason tournaments, they couldn't be on television. And he brought him to the point where they, they finally won in 2002. And he got a letter from Lefty, and he said, now you have made Maryland the UCLA of the East. So when they had this 90th birthday celebration, uh, Gary was invited to be one of the speakers and, uh, and really, I think, gave a heartfelt tribute to Lefty in what he was able to build at the University of Maryland uh, after coming here in 1969. I think people don't understand all the time is how difficult it is to change the culture of a program, of a college basketball program, of a, of a highly you know, competitive college basketball program. And that's what Lefty did. And that is the most difficult thing to do. Lefty came in there, and I remember um, from playing there, Coalfield House, obviously the best building in the ACC. There wasn't anything close to Coalfield House. You know, it was just incredible. But it was probably the worst home court because – we were playing in a vacuum. Coalfield House was like so big. It was like an airplane hangar. Uh, it was just a scorer's table, the team benches, and that was it. And so when Lefty came in, the first thing he did, he put seats on the court. And that just changed that building to be a tough place to play. Nobody wanted to come in there and play. And I really noticed that, you know, having, having played there, you know, it was really obvious what he did. And then from there, just the idea that, you know, he, he could get people involved in the games. Lefty was really great. And I learned a lot, you know, watching this. He got people to get involved. He, they would watch Lefty as much as they watched the game to make sure they were responding properly when Lefty wanted them to respond. And it, it was just incredible to watch. And, you know, as a young coach, you're always trying to steal things from um, people you respect. So that was me. And then uh, the, the other thing was uh, while, while at Maryland, what he did, he, he was not afraid to say that Maryland was going to be a great program. And there's there's a lot of people that are reluctant to do that. But Lefty just, he put himself out there, put himself on the line and said, we're going to be great. And I really admired that because I always thought that was missing from Maryland basketball. You know, there had been some good teams, 
but nobody ever said we're going to be great on a consistent basis. He went after Dean Smith. He went after Mike Krzyzewski. And it was just great to see because that's Maryland fans. That, that's what we are. We want to go compete against the best in the country. And Lefty allowed us to do that. He was, he was without Lefty coming in there, uh, I'm not sure anything could be accomplished after that because that's what he was. And I, I know, you know, Lefty, and I got to know his family a little bit, not a lot, but Chuck Duzel, Lefty's son was on my staff for a couple of years. And I know the respect he had for Lefty, you know, obviously he's a coach, but, you know, so much respect for Lefty as a father because, uh, you know, the, the family was the most important thing to Lefty. And uh, he got that through to Chuck. And, you know, Ch Chuck was uh, one of those people that just had the utmost respect for his dad. So that was great to see. And Lefty, you know, finally, when they write the ultimate book on college basketball, you're going to have a prominent chapter. Very few people ever did what you did in terms of being able to walk in to the metropolitan area that the University of Maryland is located in. And you took over the town. You know, you had you had the Washington football team. Yeah, you had the bullets. You you know, back then you, you had everything that was going on, you know, the whole government right there. But yet you came in and you became a dominant force. And I don't know too many people that could have done what you did. And then the last thing is you made it possible for coaches that followed you to be a national program. And I really appreciated that because coming in there, we went through a couple of years of tough times, but at the same time, I knew what you did. I, so I knew it was possible. And that, that was always in the back of my mind that when things got really tough, wait a minute, we were able to do this before in basketball and there's no reason we can't do it again. So lefty, I really appreciate what you did for the school as, as a former player, as a student at the university of Maryland. Uh, I don't think many people could have done what you did. And um, certainly, you know, it, it's just been great uh, to watch you over the years, to learn from you over the years. And hopefully uh, you're enjoying things now and uh, looking forward to what's ahead. Yeah, what was ahead was about another year and a half. Uh, Lefty was in, in, in bad health and uh, his wife had passed away, but he did he did live on for another year and a half and uh, and spread many memories and, and joy to people uh, remembering the great days of, of college basketball and uh, and what he was able to do uh, at the University of Maryland. Now, again, uh, when you think of his most famous games and his his uh, his attempts, many of them are losses. It's it, they but they are historic losses and none more so than the one of March 9th, 1974. So we're coming up on the. For, on the what the 50th anniversary of that wow 50th anniversary they played in Greensboro it was North Carolina State with uh, arguably the greatest certainly the greatest college player I ever saw David Thompson they had Monty Tao they had Tom Burleson who played a long time in the NBA Tim Stoddard who became a pitcher with the Orioles they were a powerhouse team they were uh, 25 and one heading into this game and uh, Maryland had what was Lefty's best team. He had Tom McMillan and Len Elmore as seniors. He had, uh, as sophomores, John Lucas, who would become, after his senior year, the number one pick in the NBA, and uh, Maurice Howard, who was the player of the year in Philadelphia and, and had a cup of coffee in the NBA, played briefly. And the other starter was Owen Brown, and they had Tom Roy coming off the bench. And that was about it. They were not very deep. Those, those were pretty much the, the six that he played. And uh, and this game, talk about a game that lives up to the hype. Now the, the 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 everything was on the line here. The NCAA tournament had only 25 teams in those days, so the only way 
that you were able to get to the NCAA tournament was to win the conference tournament. So it comes to the championship game. Maryland takes an early lead. They lead by five at the half. Second half, Tom Burleson hits a hook shot, finishes with 38 points in the game. Buzzer sounds at the end of regulation. It's a tie score, 97. Remember, there's no shot clock. There's no three-point line in those days. They were just going up and down the floor. There were no turnovers. It was just incredible basketball. And years later, Norm Sloan, who was the coach of NC State, he said, I remember turning around on the bench at one point and just saying out loud, my goodness, this is a hell of a game. Uh, Anyway, it gets to the overtime. Uh, McMillan and Howard scored 22 apiece, Elmore and Lucas at 18. But with seconds left in overtime, Lucas missed a free throw, threw a bad pass, and NC State held on to win 103-100. That game was broadcast by Billy Packer, who went to his grave saying that's the greatest college basketball game ever played, and he also was a part of the tribute to Lefty on his 90th. I was really lucky in the fact that – I I, re, I had an opportunity to broadcast many of the greatest games in Lefty's career at, at the University of Maryland. The Super Bowl Sunday games with NC State that were that set a stage that C.D. Chesley and eventually Eddie Einhorn put together that became national games and really the beginning of international rivalries on television, uh, national rivalries on television that, that Lefty had a lot to do with in terms of providing that that level of caliber of not only team, but also the way that he ran his team to, to make it a national game. Uh, I think I covered, I may be wrong about this, every single one of those incredible games during that three-year run between Maryland and, and NC State that probably was the greatest three-year rivalry between two college basketball teams that there has ever been. Uh, and I can remember the the championship game that in my mind was the second most important game ever played in college basketball. I'm speaking of the NC state, Maryland overtime ACC championship. I can remember with about three minutes to go in that game as broadcasted a game with Jim Thacker. And in my mind, I, I didn't want the game to end. And I we broke for commercial. And I said to Jim, I said, Jim, I don't want this game to end. And he said, what are you crazy? It's a great game. I said, no, I said, Jim, you got to realize something. One of these teams is going to lose. And when they lose, they can't even participate in the NCAA tournament. But because of of the great robberies between those two teams, uh, it turned out that it changed the history of of NCAA basketball because the tournament was expanded to allow multiple teams from conferences to play. And it was because of the great attitude that left you to Zell and Norm Sloan out and the incredible competitive balance that both of those fellows had. And more on that uh, in the, in the ep- kind of the epilogue to that game, as uh, was recounted in the obituary in the Post uh, this weekend. Uh, Departing from tradition, Drizel went to the NC State bus to congratulate the team. He said, I'm proud of all of you. You played a great game to beat my team. Now you better go out and win the national championship. And, in fact, they did. They beat seven-time defending champion UCLA in double overtime, 80-77, to and then beat Marquette for the national title, 76-64. Sloan, years later, told Sports Illustrated, we wouldn't have been in the Final Four if we hadn't escaped that night. I tell you, it was a tragedy, a team of Maryland's Cal wasn't able to participate in the NCAA tournament. And that is the legacy of that team from 50 years ago. It's the greatest team that Lefty had and never got a chance to prove itself in the NCAA tournament. Following that year, though, and there was, there was even though they had lost this devastating game, there was great hope 
there was great hope for the future because Lefty had gone out and gotten Moses Malone. And that was not an easy thing to do. Um, you know, he, uh, he, he, had, he had gone after uh, Moses in a way that, you know, was, was unlike any other player he had recruited. Even though he, he worked his tail off to get players, the, the recruiting of Moses was unbelievable. Because in, the, in those days, you could be with a player as much as you wanted. And so they were there. They, Lefty had an assistant at every practice. Lefty spent two weeks himself <laughs> recruiting Moses. And, they, and at a time when were, a room was like $15 a night, I had read where they rang up a bill of $40,000 at the Petersburg Holiday Inn trying to get Moses Malone. And they did. And they had him. And they had him for one freaking day. When classes started, Moses didn't go. He went and signed with the ABA for over a million dollars, which was all the money in the world 50 years ago. And he became one of the first uh, to go directly from high school to pro basketball. Not the NBA, but the ABA. They were still at war, so this was uh, the Utah Stars, and they gave him over a million dollars. And uh, and Lefty never got a chance to coach Moses and perhaps win multiple national titles with him, with the team, certainly with the players that he had around him. Uh, he could have done it. He had, you know, a couple of first round picks and in Lucas and Brad Davis and uh, Mo Howard, who was a pro. And, you know, Tom Roy still had eligibility. Owen Brown had another year. Those guys were back. He could have won, but but didn't do it yet. Here is a guy who, who didn't hold a grudge and he might have said, oh, God, Moses, you screwed me. I had you and you left what I could have had without you. But he remained great friends with Moses and Moses tragically died Years before Lefty, he lived to be only 60 years old, was found dead in his hotel room. And uh, and Lefty at that time, this is about eight years ago, uh, was interviewed about the death of uh, the player that he had but couldn't keep. You know, he was a great player, but he was a better person. I mean, he never. I've been around him a lot. I've never heard him say a cuss word. I can't believe Moses is going. He's just unbelievable. And I guess the Lord has a time for all of us to go. And. I wish he wasn't gone because I, I loved him and I know he was. If I had died, he'd have come to my funeral. That's the way I feel about it. I know he would have. Well, and now they're they're both uh, gone. Of course, you know Moses would not have been able to uh, attend Lefty's funeral. But boy, the the the, the friendship that they maintained all those years, and you're going to hear in the Hall of Fame speech uh, that, le- that we were going to replay that Lefty uh, actually said, uh, "I would have had Moses up here." You know, whether he played for him or not, certainly if he played for him, he would have been in earlier. But uh, one of the great stories that I heard about the recruitment of Moses is, you know, Lefty's talking to him all the time. And and he says to him, you know, you know any other great players around there? And Moses, if you don't know the story, uh, when he was growing up, he toughened himself up playing pickup basketball in the prison at Petersburg. He would go into the prison and play basketball with these hardened criminals and uh, and so Lefty said, uh, well, do you have anybody else you'd like to bring to Maryland? He says, well, you know, there's there's, there's one player. Uh, and Lefty says, oh, well, you know, maybe I can I can get him out on parole. I'll, I'll call the governor. He, Lefty was going to do anything to get Moses. And Moses and, and he said, uh, Moses, what's his name? And he says, he says, I don't know his name, coach. He says, they call him the milkman. He said, well, Moses, why do they call him the milkman? Oh, uh, because he murdered a milkman. <laughs> 
it's funny and it's not funny, but that's you know that's part of the lore. That's part of the story of uh, of Lefty Drizel, uh, an unbelievable story and uh, and one who brought so much joy to this area with college basketball. We'll get to more of his life. Uh, play some of the Hall of Fame induction speech. A couple of more stories as we roll along. We're remembering a legend in this area, uh, and and the passing should be noted. You know, attention needs to be paid, as they say, even though this is a story that's been out for a couple of days with Lefty's death on Saturday. Stay with us. It's the Andy Poland Show, ESPN 630. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. I've had in this tribute to Lefty Drizel, which we've been doing this morning here on ESPN 630, passed away on Saturday at the age of 92, won 786 games during his career, never won a national title at Maryland despite his wish to make Maryland the UCLA of the East. He never really promised that, as, as people have said over the years. Uh, his, uh, his statement at his news conference when he was introduced in March of 1969, he said that Maryland has the potential to be the UCLA of the East Coast or I wouldn't be there. And while he didn't quite get them there, he got them to a level that nobody really could have imagined uh, when he took over a team that had won eight games in each of the previous two years under Frank Fellows. And, uh, and he really made college basketball matter in this area and that's why uh, I'm spending so much time on it because he was so much a part of of my youth and and my sports fandom over the years uh, growing up in the Washington area and uh, and just loving Maryland basketball Um, it took a long time to get him into the Hall of Fame and I believe the main reason was was the death of Len Bias which I think unfairly uh, was he was made the scapegoat in it and as Mike Krzyzewski said to John Feinstein over the weekend, he said, I honestly believe if Maryland hadn't made him the scapegoat in the bias case, he might have been the all-time winningest coach. He was that good. Uh, and he was good when he, he you know, he would lose the big games. And that's, that's what, unfortunately, a lot of that defines his career. Uh, it's, it's losing to NC State in that, in that classic ACC final where only one team could get to the NCAA tournament, which changed the face of college basketball because the following year they expanded the tournament to have at-large teams. Teams, More teams could get in. Teams, Multiple teams from conferences could make it. It was all because of that game. Uh, he did that. But, you know, he famously lost the opening game of the 73-74 season to UCLA at Pauley Pavilion when he had his best team and he thought he was ready to finally overtake UCLA. Couldn't quite get that done. And uh, and then losing Moses Malone as his as his top recruit uh, couldn't couldn't keep him got him got him to Maryland 1974 but Moses left for the ABA and and never got to play uh, at Maryland and never got to work with him though they remained lifetime friends with uh, Moses passing away before Lefty did over the weekend but uh, it it took him far too long to get into the Hall of Fame in uh, 2003 he had uh, been forced out at Maryland because of the bias case and 
86, uh, then took over JMU, James Madison, down the road, uh, made them into a really good team, made the NCAA tournament, won over 100 games there, still wasn't finished coaching, went to Georgia State, which was a, a school that was just getting off the ground, just really starting its basketball program, and he got them to the NCAA tournament, got them there in 2001, which was the first year that Maryland made the Final Four. And uh, if, if you don't remember this, uh, Maryland had played – Georgia State after Georgia State had upset Wisconsin and uh and so and and you know famously you know Lefty was asked about being a major he said I'm a mid nothing he said ask Wisconsin if we're a mid major and so they they had a meeting with Maryland uh, uh Georgetown was now going to play a Maryland Georgetown had advanced and Maryland after beating Georgia State was playing them in the Sweet 16 and I remember that time John Thompson at the time was doing a radio show on the station where we both were. And uh, and he had Lefty on as a guest. And Lefty said, hey, uh, I'm rooting for Georgetown to beat Maryland because Maryland beat us. It wasn't that he was bitter and hated Maryland. He loved Maryland and later, you know, showed up at many big time events there. But uh, he said he wanted Georgetown to beat Maryland, and and John just loved that. And he was singing on the air, lefties rooting for Georgetown, lefties rooting for Georgetown, you know, all that. So anyway, uh, off of that, getting getting them into the NCAA tournament, by the time 2003 uh, just really rolled around, I think it was New Year's Day of 2003, he'd had enough. He was 71 years old, and he had a bad cold that morning, and he just said, that's it, I'm, uh, I'm retiring. And he left college basketball for good with 786 wins. So from 2003 to 2018, 15 years, took him 15 years, because you don't have to wait in college basketball. You can, as soon as you retire, you get in. But uh, it took him 15 years to get in. A lot of people pushed for him. I, I, I truly believe it was Dave Kindred's column in The Athletic which pushed him over the top. He wrote a, just a terrific piece. You can probably look that up online um, where he, he made the case that Lefty should have been in. And he finally got in uh, in, 19, in the summer of, 19, of, of 2018. And uh, the, the, I'm going to play here some parts of the speech, which he was, he was, he was hysterical at times, as he often was. But uh, even at 86, where he got to the podium of pushing a walker, uh, got a chair to sit on, looking out on the crowd, some of his great players, even some that he didn't get, like Charlie Scott, who he almost landed to Davidson. And it was Charlie Scott who broke his heart two years in a row at Davidson. Uh, they made it to the Elite Eight both years. Both years they played Charlie Scott in North Carolina, and they beat Lefty. He had some of the top teams in the country, but he couldn't get past Dean in North Carolina and Charlie Scott. But he was there to honor his coach. He loved Lefty, as many people did. And uh, Lefty looked out on this crowd of people, and uh, and he had with him. And, you know, people talk about the rivalry that he had with John Thompson and the famous game at the Armory where uh, John cursed at him, his, his favorite word starting with an M and, and all that. Um, they, were, they were friends in the end, and it was John actually uh, helped Lefty. He tried to get him into the Hall of Fame and, and, and probably played a part in that as well. But he had John up there. And he had Mike Krzyzewski up there, uh, the great coach of Duke, of course, and then uh, George Raveling, who was the first African-American assistant in any sport in the ACC. Lefty hired him when he came to Maryland in 1969 and, and helped him to build the program. He had those three men 
with him uh, as he was inducted in 2018 in Springfield, and this is how he opened up. I'm so happy to be here. This is probably one of the happiest days in my wife, in my life, in my wife, whatever. And uh, look, is there anybody in here 86 years old? Raise your hand, will you? So, so if I screw up, so look, if I if I screw up. Wait till you get 86. And, um, you know, first of all, I want to introduce my presenters here. Mike Krzyzewski. And everybody asks me, why is Mike such a good coach? And I'll say, I'll tell you why. He, he graduated from the uh, Army, uh, you know, West Point. Okay, he graduated from West Point. And at West Point, you lead guys, and if they don't listen to you, they get killed. You know, so I think that's why he's such a great coach. George, John Thompson, I used to be a hero around D.C. till he came, right? And, and he took little old Georgetown, and we used to be easy. And, and, I, and I quit playing him. I said, no, well, I don't want to play Georgetown anymore. But he has done more for basketball in the, in around in the country, really, uh, for anybody I know of. And he, and he made Georgetown. Most of y'all probably never heard of Georgetown until he got there. And George Radley, my main man, you know, I know he's been pushing me for this for about 20 years because he was the first assistant I coached, I mean, I, I coached, I signed at, at the University of Maryland. And you know what? I heard him say, Lefty got credit for Midnight Madness. It was me and George. In fact, it's probably George's idea. Because I'm not smart enough to do stuff like that. You know, but today, I, I'm really happy uh, to be to accept this honor from the Hall of Fame. It's something I prayed about and you know for a long time and I prayed about it when I was young. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll get to the young lefty and, and how his story started. But John Thompson, um, if you don't know this, uh, actually grew up not grew up, but but when he was a young coach, a high school coach at St. Anthony's, he was already noticing what Lefty was doing. And Len Elmore has told me a story uh, the freshmen were ineligible when he came to Maryland in 1970, and he had to sit out most of his freshman year with a broken foot. Uh, he didn't even play much on the freshman team, and he would sit and watch practice, and he was very depressed, and he would sit next to John Thompson, and John Thompson really boosted him. So John and Lefty intertwined early, uh, big rivals on the court when they both had big-time programs here but became friends later in life to the point where when Lefty finally got in the Hall of Fame, he brought – John Thompson up there with him. Uh, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, Lefty was a really good high school player in Virginia. He went to Duke to play. He was not a star on the team. In fact, probably didn't play uh, a lot. Probably was like a sixth or seventh man at Duke. And there's a story that's out there because he and Sonny Jurgensen were at Duke at the same time, uh, Sonny playing football. And Sonny has told me that he was a better high school basketball player than a football player and was recruited to play basketball at North Carolina but chose to play football at Duke because he was only six feet tall and thought he had a better future in football. 
than he did in basketball, but he said he would practice with the Duke team. And there's been a story that there was an injury on the team and they needed another player and Lefty brought Sonny to practice to see if he could join the team. And Sonny says, no, that's, that's not what happened. He said, he said, I did practice with the team, but uh, I, he said, I wasn't going to join the basketball team. He said, because if I did, I would have been playing and Lefty would have been sitting. So, so that's how that worked out. But he did, he did finish his career in 1954 at, at Duke, and he didn't, he didn't become a coach right away. So this, again, is, is part of the Hall of Fame speech from 2018 where he explains uh, how he was ultimately led to coaching, and he had to take a major pay cut to do it. After I graduated from Duke, I, I got a JV coaching job. Well, I got, truthfully, I got a, is my time over yet? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I've been practicing this for three days. They said five minutes, so I got two minutes left or something anyway. So anyway, from Duke, from Duke, I got a job at the Ford Motor Company paying uh I think, what was $6,200 a year. I worked there for one year. Then a JV coaching job came open at Granby High School where I'd gone to school and played. And I said, well, I came home and told Joyce, I think I'm going to take that Granby coaching job. I always wanted to coach. I told you I did it since I was nine years old. And she said, well, what is your pay? I said, $3,200. And you making $6,200 at the Ford plant? You're going to take that job? I said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to take it out. I love coaching. I, I said, I'll work in the summertime, sell encyclopedias or do something, make some extra money. And uh, so that's what I did. I started out as a JV basketball coach. And then I did pretty good there for two years. And then I went to Newport News High School. And y'all don't know this, right? But we won 57 straight games, which is still a record in the state of Virginia. I know... There's my man, Alonzo. He won 52 straight, right? Whatever it was. And Moses won 54, whatever it was. But we won 57 straight. And um, I'm, I'm sorry that, that these, these three guys are great, but I would have Moses up here with them. Moses, I loved Moses. And if he'd have played for me, I'd have been up here a long time ago. <laughs> And, and I'd have had Red R back up here, too, who was my idol. And uh, so then from, uh, from Newport News High School, I went to Davidson. We won 57 straight, and I was a pretty hot thing. And Eddie Cameron, the athletic director at Duke, liked me. So he said, I think I can get you the Davidson job if you want it. I said, go for it, man. I want to coach in college, see if I can really coach. So he got me the Davidson job, which everybody said, don't take that job. Don't with 900 boys go to school there. And they've never won a basketball game in a tournament or in a conference or anything. And I said, well, I'm going to go there. And uh, is my time up? Uh, anyway, in, in, anyway, so in three years, my freshman couldn't play back then. So. In my third year, we were ranked in the final top ten. Yeah, he had great teams at Davidson. You know, this was long before Steph Curry stepped on campus. He had he had tremendous teams 
recruiting in a way that you, know, you think of it now. You go, oh, my God, that's how he did it? He got to Davidson. His recruiting budget was, in 1960, $500. Yeah, $500 for the year. Not, not for one night stay at a hotel, $500. He had a big Chevrolet station wagon, and he would drive it around and recruit players at various high schools. And he had a mattress in the back of the station wagon, and he put a gun under the mattress, and he would sleep at a gas station and have the gun ready just in case anybody wanted to mess with him, sleep there overnight, go into the restroom at the gas station in the morning, shave, Fill up the car with a dollar's worth of gas as, uh, as a, you know, uh, like a nod for the hospitality he was given for being able to park the station wagon there overnight and was on his way and, and built top 10 teams at Davidson. How about that? And, uh, and, and then when Maryland came calling in 1969, he really wasn't ready to go. He, he, he didn't want to leave Davidson at that point. And, you know, salaries for college basketball in those days, not a huge difference between Davidson and Maryland. But uh, it was Jim Kehoe, who was the athletic director, who convinced him to come. And as he uh, explained in the speech, uh, this is how he went from Davidson to Maryland in the spring of 1969. I stayed there nine years, and every player that I recruited played on the top ten team. And we were, my last year, we were 27-3, and three, and uh, Maryland offered me a job. And I said, I don't know, man. I got four starters coming back, and I'm 27-3. What do I want to leave for? Well, we got Ted Williams up here in the spring. We got Vince Lombardi in the winter, and we want you to be up here in the summer or in the winter, wherever it is. So that impressed me being up there with Ted Williams, who was my hero as a baseball player, and Vince Lombardi was the greatest football coach at the time, and he wanted me to be up there in the wintertime and coach basketball. So I took it. And, uh, you know, I made the statement then, we're going to be the UCLA of the East. Again, I was kind of drunk or something when I said that. And, um, but we were pretty good. We ended up pretty good, and, you know, I had a lot of great players there. Incidentally, at Davidson, I don't think there's any coach out here to coach two road scholars. I coached two road scholars. And, they, and, it, and in Virginia, when, when Terry Holland was coaching, they used to put a fuel gauge on my head, right? And it was empty. <laughs> and, and president, I saw the president holding it up. Everybody would hold it up. Yeah, but that was, uh, and he played that, you know. Left, lefty knew how to play the, the guy who, oh, I'm not that bright, you know. No, he, he, he could... He could really outsmart a lot of people and uh, and get it done, and and that's where he had his his greatest run at the University of Maryland, 1969 to 1986, 348 wins, eight NCAA appearances, consistent top ten, an ACC title, which by the way was was just celebrated with uh, some of his players over the weekend, the one that he won in in 1984 when Len Bias was a was a sophomore on that team, and uh, and and he beat his alma mater, he beat Duke. And, uh, you know, sadly, it was it was a tragic end for him at Maryland with the death of Len Bias, which he was he was forced out the door, but uh, went on to have uh, success in other places uh, with JMU and uh, with Georgia State. And uh, with those with those 786 wins, there's 100 wins, at least 100 wins at each of those four schools and NCAA tournament appearances in each of those four schools. As uh, as Lefty said, when uh, when he was uh, being pressed about, hey, you're a great recruiter, you just can't win the big one. 
that was not so. I don't like to brag. See, that's why y'all don't think I can coach, but I'm bragging today, okay, because I don't like to talk about what I do and what I don't do. But don't ever say that I can't coach. I may not be a good speaker. I may not be intelligent as some of these other coaches. I may not throw you a whole lot of X's and O crap, but I can coach. No question about it. And the players who played for him revered him, and uh, and it was a, a full life, uh, as as was said by Ken Denlinger in the Washington Post many years ago. Christmas Day, 1932, God gave a gift to the world, Lefty Drizel. Anyway, that's, uh, that's, the, uh, that's the life and times of Lefty Drizel, who passed away at the age of 92. Uh, if you saw his teams play, you will never forget him uh, and his teams. And uh, if you didn't, there is much more to his life than uh, the, the, the statement that many uh, younger people who didn't see it uh, define him by and, and have watched the documentaries, the many documentaries that have been done over the years on the tragic death of Len Bias. But it is not this statement that we should remember Lefty Drizel by. I know I'm just, I mean, I'm sad, but I'm not even worried because I know where Leonard is. I know he's in heaven. And I'm going to miss him, and I know everybody else here will too. And I really can't say a whole lot more except I love you, Leonard, and I'll miss you. I'll see you in heaven one day. Well, maybe they see each other now. Rest in peace, Charles Lefty Drizel. Tony is next. Movies, TV shows, books, podcasts, and more. It's what women binge with Melissa Joan Hart and her friend Amanda Lee. We have Lauren Bosworth with us. Yay! The Hills. So what is like your number one question from fans? The primary question I still get asked was, what, is it real? <laughs> In 2024, to me, is a surprising question to get because I feel like everybody has been through the reality TV gauntlet at this point. What Women Binge, wherever you listen.